Hello everyone and welcome again to the W Wrestling Podcast. We are doing an AEW Weekly Wrestling Rewatch, where we're going through AEW from the very start. So, if you've already listened to the show, you'll have heard us talk about All In and Double or Nothing. And this week, we are fighting fire with Fighter Fest. With me, as always, is Pete. I am Sid. And join us as we look at the second pay-per-view, the second branded AEW pay-per-view, Fighter Fest 2019. But before we get into that, Pete. Hello. Why do you think the Crush track was only available on the UK release of the WrestleMania album? It's a very good question. And one I don't have a valid answer for. Was Crush more popular in the UK than he was in the US and in his home state of Hawaii? Was it a lilt advert? <laughs> Possibly. Crush did love lilt. Um, well, he must do. He, he, loved, he loved Hawaiian things yep. and, and Crush. And, and lilt is literally... Yeah, maybe he worked in the lilt factory between wrestling gigs... Of course, the, the best thing about that old WrestleMania album, other than, of course, the classic Bret Hart track, is that it was produced by Simon Cowell. Who else would you want to do it? Yeah, so nice to know I've given him some money in the past. <laughs> yeah. So, as I said on the intro, we are going to be looking at Fighter Fest 2019 today, but it's been a very strange week in AEW as we are recording this in 2022, hasn't it, Pete? Strange week is an understatement for sure. Yeah, it's it's been absolutely bonkers. So originally we were going to try and fit two shows onto this podcast. We were going to do Fight Fest and Fight for the Fallen. Um, obviously, so much has happened in AEW this week, as well as the the four hour all out twenty twenty two pay per view, which was much must watch TV and the media scrum afterwards, which was. More must watch than the pay per view. I kind of hate it when that happens with wrestling, but we haven't. That hasn't really gone away since 1997, and the the incident with Sean and Brett, the Montreal incident. Yeah, I mean, it's such when such big things happen at the pay per view as well that are just kind of ignored then because of of this other drama happens. And we had a big return at the pay-per-view and it wasn't really mentioned because of what happened at the this media scrum afterwards. So I'll just do a quick rundown. If you're listening to this and for some reason you haven't heard what's happened in AEW this week and for prosperity, looking back from the future, at the media scrum, CM Punk unleashed. Uh, I've heard it described as the gripe bomb. <laughs> works which which is my favorite description of it um it, it was a bit out of nowhere it did seem a bit manufactured um i'm trying not to take a side because i don't know these people um I, I, the only person i've met out of everyone who's really involved the only person i've met is colt cabana but i wouldn't say like i wouldn't describe any of them as people i know they're just people i've met yes um punk unleashed on a lot of stuff but the upshot was he said, I'm, I'm tired and I'm working with a bunch of fucking children. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, is, this, is, this isn't a new punk. We've seen this punk before. We saw this punk at the end of his WWE run when he obviously wasn't happy. And uh, it's only been a year and it seems like the honeymoon period has worn off and punk is back to his old mental state, I would say. Yeah, he's clearly been stewing on it 
during his time off uh, for his injury because he he couldn't let it go. They tried to move it on and he'd just keep going back to it. And he he was kind of asking a lot of questions of the the press, the wrestling press that were there. And even when they'd sort of like not respond how he probably expected them to respond, he just carried on anyway. It was it all felt very he'd been stewing on it and he knew he was going to go in and do it. Yeah, it was it was bizarre. The thing you have to remember is he had just finished his match. It's not mm. like oh, yeah. the Bucks and Kenny who were quite early in the show. Yeah. And when you've just done a match and you go into media scrum, you're still on a weird adrenaline mm. high. Yes. And to be honest, you know what? I think they need just to just scrap the media scrum. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's about getting... It's the anticipation of the pay-per-view that's important, not checking with the media afterwards. I know they're trying to lead into the next show, but just give it, let the pay-per-view speak for itself, mm. give it an air gap of those few days, anything that needs to be addressed, address it at the next show on a Wednesday on a Dynamite. That's that's fine. We don't need the media scrums because emotions are high, stuff can blow up and stuff can be said that shouldn't be said. And that is exactly what happened here. Mm, yeah. Um, and of course, the big thing is following on from that, it seems that Punk said his piece and the EPs, the Young Bucks, and Kenny. Um, is Kenny an EP as well? Forgive my ignorance. An EVP, yep, yep. They're all on the same... They've all got that same title, yeah. They're all EVPs, yep. uh, executive vice presidents of the company. And, like, the problem is when you're a vice president of a company, you can't just storm a locker room like one of the boys might if they had a grievance with someone. Mm. Wrestling, again, we're talking about wrestling's carny roots. The boys used to just sort stuff out between them. We all know the stories about Undertaker heading up uh, wrestlers' courts. Yep. We haven't really got that figurehead in WWE, uh, in AEW. I'm sure Punk would love that job. Um, I don't necessarily think he's the right person to be the locker room leader as it stands. No, I, I think more of the locker room are probably not on his side than, than are at this point. And he might be the biggest draw they've ever had, and he might be the single biggest factory shift in numbers, as Tony Khan has said, and he'd know better than anyone. Mm. But he hasn't been there from the start, and this is always going to be a problem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think just because you are the big name, it doesn't give you, you know, allowance to do what you want and say what you want and just bury everyone and everything about that company. With your boss sat next to you as well, it was, yeah, it was just ridiculous, really. It was uncomfortable viewing, and I don't mm. know how, how Tony Carr didn't just kind of say, no, 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 we're not doing this now. Yeah, yeah. Because if, if he'd been firmer, um, I don't think it would have happened. But this is this is one of the problems. Tony Khan, he wants to be one of the boys. He wants to be liked. Vince has never had that problem. Yeah, he doesn't want to be Vince, but you know, Vince was very successful um, for a number of years. So you kind of have to remember you are the boss, you are in charge. And yes, yeah, yeah. you can you can be down with the down with the boys and you know, have a have a rapport with them, but at the same time, you still need to manage them, and that's I think where AEW have maybe failed a bit. The management side it hasn't been as good as it could be. I mean, do do you think they just need a few more layers of middle management between Tony Khan and the talent that aren't wrestler EVPs? Yeah, I mean, they have kind of put a lot of names in place uh, in recent weeks and months, like trying to try and have this hierarchy that they didn't necessarily have before but it's still early days with it um 
and maybe people are still finding their feet. And I think for a lot of people, it was just no one expected this to happen. And it's kind of an unprecedented thing. Um, I mean, back in the day, we didn't have social media and all this sort of stuff. So it, it was just dealt with backstage. We probably didn't hear about a lot of the stuff that went on. Um, but as time's gone on and everything's out there, it's it's hard to hide it these days. Yeah, definitely. You you can't pretend for a second that the internet wasn't the biggest reason behind the curtain call and the Montreal incident becoming the two most defining moments mm. in in that late nineties NWO attitude era revival. Yeah. Um it's strange times, strange times. So I mean, I don't want to get into who said what and who threw the punches at who because the truth is we don't know. Exactly. And there's dozens of shows out there who are going to be looking at it in great deal. So we're not talking fact at all. We're talk I'm going to ask you, gut emotional feeling on your opinion. What do you think happened backstage? Who do you think is more likely to start throwing punches? I would imagine CM Punk would be more the guy that would go that route. Um, the Bucks and Kenny have never come across that way to me uh, in sort of real life stuff. Um, I I don't know. I mean, everyone involved was a wrestler, so they're gonna. It's gonna be exaggerated no matter what happened because everyone's going to want their side to be the one people take and you know wrestlers are wrestlers everything they do is an exaggeration of real life um mm. so i i don't know um i just think it it wasn't handled right i mean punk did say if you've got a problem with me come and see me the bucks and kenny obviously did maybe they shouldn't have done it right away um but i guess they were annoyed they were they were peed off it's hard to know. It really is hard to know. We still don't know exactly what happened. We've heard stories of chairs being thrown and people getting bitten and all this sort of stuff. It's like, I, I don't know. who Who's telling people this? Um, I don't know. Yes, yeah, it's, it's crazy. At the minute, it really reminds me of the Metallica Megadeth breakup. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. there's, there's even a dog involved that someone was trying to protect <laughs> yes. someone else's dog. Yeah. Yeah, likely we'll never know. For me, the really interesting thing was uh, Dynamite opens on Wednesday as normal because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're EVPs. It doesn't matter if you're Kenny Omega or CM Punk or the Bucks. AEW has sponsorships. Mm -hmm. AEW has network television. AEW has obligations to many, many people, networks, and businesses around the world. The show must go on. This isn't an indie fed. You can't just throw your towel in because a few people have had a barney at each other and call it a day. You have to keep going. And Wednesday, the show opened. And the package featuring what happened at All Out 2022, mm-hmm. it's all MJF yep. and focusing on his return, which is really good because, as you pointed out, that's the thing that uh, kind of did get lost yes. in the aftermath on, on social media. Uh, and going straight into the show, the champ wasn't even named. Mm-hmm. They just said, Tony Khan just said, I've had to vacate these belts. Didn't name the people involved. Yeah. And and the show cracked on. But what my favorite thing about the show was they announced the tournament for the belt. And who's in the tournament? Adam Page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Considered by a lot of people to be the flashpoint of yes. the rehashing the Colt Cabana, mm-hmm. CM Punk differences. Um, but yeah, he managed to get away unscathed. He kept his head down, did his work, went home. Yeah, apparently he'd left the arena prior to all the stuff kicking off at the pay-per-view, so he wasn't there. 
Um, had he been there, would he have got involved? Who's to know? Um, but yeah, luckily he had left and gone back to his hotel or wherever. So yeah, good move on his part. Let that be a lesson to you, young uns. Do your show, do your match, get out, go home, call yeah. it a day. <laughs> <laughs> For the best. Uh, well, you know what, though? It's interesting times because I guarantee that this week's AEW ratings are going to be higher than before this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is an interesting thing where back in the day, if you knew that two wrestlers had heat with each other, you, you book a show around that. Even if you're just stealing a gate, you, you do it. Yeah, yeah. You get the money, you book it. Mm-hmm. Um, in modern terms, the best thing, the best description, best comparison would be Edge and Matt Hardy. Yeah. Legitimate storyline, a legitimate real life. Edge at one point slept with Matt Hardy's then girlfriend, Lita multiple times when they're on the road stuff happens on the road and Matt got fired and the fans campaigned enough to bring him back and they did a big show didn't hurt Edge's career and he did it really in the end exactly that was the thing that arguably springboarded him to to where he got to and I think if they hadn't done that match if it had just been ignore Matt carry on with Edge as normal Mm. I, I he wouldn't like you say he wouldn't have had that next level step no really interesting so, okay, well, we can't just gossip about modern day AEW all day, as easy as that is to do at the moment. Um, but it is going to be interesting keeping an eye on it from here on out. Oh, for sure, yeah. But now we're going to take you all the way back to 2019 and Fighter Fest. Now, Pete, can you call this a pay per view? Is it a spot show? What would you call it? I mean, it, it was uh, a pay-per-view. You had to, to pay to watch it at the time. Um, you've got to remember, this was before AW had its weekly Dynamite show. Um, they were still very, very much a new company. They only had one official show prior to this. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a pay-per-view by, uh, by all accounts. So, where and when are we? So, we're the 29th of June. 2019 we are in daytona beach florida at the ocean center okay interesting and the name of this show fighter fest mm-hmm. with a y yes is um and this could get lost in the midst of time but back in 2019 the fire festival mm. was supposed to happen mm-hmm. and it turned into a really weird i don't know how you describe it but imagine the festival where everyone came except the musicians, the talent, the catering, the bands. Like, <laughs> like people came up, paid lots of money to go to this big festival, and then there wasn't a festival, but there was some sandwiches. Um, one of the problems when you do a big show like this and you tie it into something very of the moment mm. is it's very easy for the show to suddenly feel dated. And certain aspects of the show did feel very dated. Obviously... Netflix has done documentaries about the Fire Festival. Yes. So it is still in the public zeitgeist to a certain degree, but I do think some of the more subtle jokes would have been lost. Thankfully, most of the more uh, fire focused jokes tended to be nested in the buy in show. Yeah, very much so. And often we skip the buy ins on this show and we just go straight to the show, the, the main show as it is. Uh, however, the way Fight have this structured on their viewing platform is they just put the the pre-show in with the show. Mm. So the buy-in is just there. So I did do the buy-in this time. I think it's the first time I've done a buy-in from the early era of AEW. And um, wow. <laughs> 
this 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 <laughs> we we try and look at everything with a positive on the show, but there's a reason I don't watch the buy-ins. Now, if in 2019 this was my first experience of AEW, mm. and I sat down, oh, I'm going to give this a try, and I watched this buy-in, I can confidently say I don't think I would have bought the show. Right. I think the buy-in genuinely would have stopped me watching the show. Mm-hmm. So my first question for you, right at the top, my notes say some dude eating an apple. I've now rubbed out some dude and corrected it with QT. Yes. The show opens with QT opening an apple and doing a little promo. What happened to QT? It's only been three years. <laughs> I thought the same. He did look like a different man, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, training wow. wrestlers for him is, is hard work. <laughs> yeah, must be. Must be. What, what is the significance of QT eating an apple? Well, I wasn't sure because I thought, oh, that must have been something that happened in the fire fest um documentary so i rewatched that and yeah it, it wasn't so I, I don't really know i that's what i thought it was like someone in the documentary must have been eating an apple while they're being interviewed or something but no <laughs> i thought i thought mate this must be a running joke from bte that i perhaps didn't know yeah i don't or maybe it was i don't remember it's been so it's so long ago but yeah I, nothing jumped out at me about why he was eating an apple if you know, comment on our social media. Yeah, yeah, let us know. Why was hashtag why was QT eating an apple at Fire Fest 2019? Yeah. Nice snappy hashtag there. What I do know is it, it did look like a Granny Smith. I'll say that much. <laughs> well, thank you for that added extra detail. <laughs> That's right. I like it. Uh, so, in a very 2000 era thing, they had tarty ring girls around the entrance ways. Yeah. Very John Laranitis. I think that was that was to do with the the models that were involved in Firefest and um that they'd got a lot of influencers to help advertise yeah. that. So that's where that came from. No, and they totally played that more for jokes rather yes. than uh, rather than look at the women. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and of course then they realised halfway through the show they couldn't afford all the models, so they <laughs> yeah. replaced them with with mannequins, so bit some comedy skits. Mm-hmm. Commentary team for the show. Obviously, we've got Excalibur. Yep. And then there's two other people I don't know. Who is Logan Summer and who is Golden Boy? Well, something we haven't mentioned about uh, Fight Fest. It wasn't just an AW thing as such. There was also a big uh, video game tournament going on at the time. CEO, and we'll see the the man behind that later on in the in the buy-in. But it was kind of a show done in conjunction with this big video game tournament that was going on at the same time. And obviously Kenny Omega, huge, huge fighting game fan. So he kind of wanted to incorporate both worlds into this. Uh, and Golden Boy is um, involved in that. He's a, a known sort of fighting game enthusiast and player and all that sort of stuff. And Logan Summer is a um, a grime DJ from the UK. Yet again, AEW using a random English person like they did with jack whitehall at the last show it's like well i don't really know the relevance to that but you know whatever there he was doing commentary for the buy-in get him involved get him involved yeah so we go from that into private party Mm -hmm. versus socal uncensored versus the super veterans (laughs) in a triple threat tag match yes now 
Private Pie, they haven't cropped up in any of our shows before. So tell me a little bit about those two chaps, Pete. So yeah, Private Party were a team that were getting a bit of a buzz on the indies. Um, You'll find this a lot with some of the guys that AEW bought in that weren't necessarily well known. They didn't necessarily come from any big company or had any big angles anywhere else. But AEW wanted to give, you know, talent they'd seen on indie shows or work with that they thought had potential they wanted to give them a bit of a stage and private party were very much that at the time they were a sort of a favorite um of the young bucks i think it was the bucks that kind of got them the gig as such um so yeah they they hadn't done anything huge prior to joining aw but this was like you say their first appearance and um i think they were kind of said go out there do your thing show people who you are uh and and they did just that so it's mark quinn Isaiah cassidy yep they are private party. Did they always wrestle as a tag team or have they done indie stuff uh, on their own before they joined together? I've only ever seen them as a team. Um, yeah, the first time I heard about private party, they were they were an established team. Um, so yeah, I've never seen anything singles outside of AEW. Yeah, my first experience to them was as a tag team. And of course, if the, if the people listening to this like the idea of private party, you can tune into just about any show from the last three years and see them because they're still doing the same shtick. Mm. They haven't really changed anything about their whole package. Yeah, I mean, they've jumped between uh, heel and face. They were aligned with Matt Hardy for a while, um, then Andrade. Um, I think they're maybe moving back to being a bit of a more face team. I think they're sowing the seeds for that at the moment. But yeah, they're still doing the, the same gimmick. They've just sort of alternated between started out big face team. They've been more heel in recent years. And of course, if you haven't got weekly TV, which they didn't at this point, uh, and they've got such a packed talent roster, only three hours of TV a week, you don't see the same people on AEW every week like you do with the Usos in WWE. Mm. Um, So Private Party, they might still be doing the same shtick three years on. It might be looking a bit tired now, but it's not as exhaustive as if we'd seen it weekly every show. Oh, definitely not, yeah. So there is there is still a bit of freshness to the guys. So I noticed they come out and they are hailing from the place where you need an invitation. That's right. Well, that's the worst <laughs> point of origin I've ever heard. <laughs> Why not just from the VIP area? Yeah, I don't think they have that little tagline for their entrance now. I, I remember when I rewatched Fighter Fest, I was like, oh, that yeah, I forgot that used to be a thing. But yeah, I, I don't remember them coming out and having that that place of origin these days. Could be wrong. So they, they mentioned on commentary during this match about the ITV pipe uh, ITV slash fight partnership. Yeah. Uh, they give a shout out to the UK audience. I've always appreciated that about the AEW. Actually, going out your way, pretty much every show to mention thank you to the people in the UK for for joining us. Yeah, completely. I mean, the UK has always been a, a huge sort of place for wrestling that doesn't always get its dues as far as fandoms go. That The UK fans are often like no other, a bit like the Canadian fans. They've just got this extra added level, maybe because we don't get to see the big wrestlers all the time. Um, so, yeah, when you do get to see it, it's it's, a, it's another level of fandom. So, yeah, it's, it's cool. And the fact that ITV um, got the rights to show AEW was, was brilliant. It was such a good thing. My way into AEW was actually when I realised ITV was showing it for free. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the first few episodes I watched. There were bits I liked of the shows, bits I didn't like. I did find it quite difficult following what's happening because I think a lot of the time they could be quite bad at helping new viewers along the way of their show. Yeah. But when Punk came back a year ago and I started to watch it again, 
it took me maybe two or three weeks to get so fucked off with adverts on ITV and how bad the ITV app is that I just started paying for Fight. ITV were cutting bit segments as well for a while. I think very early on they were definitely cutting like matches and segments off the shows. Um, They got better with that after a bit of backlash for it. But yeah, I think if you are a fan in the UK and you're a big fan of watching AW fight, it's the way to go. It's not that expensive and you get everything right away live if you want it. You don't have to wait a few days. It's it's a way to do it. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It doesn't cost too much. I do have issues with the app. Um, I'm going to get into that a bit later. <laughs> but for now, let's let's get to the match. Now, there's a bit in this match where Private Party, uh, they take a bump outside the ring. One of them does. I can't remember which one. Apologies for that. And the camera zooms right in on their face as they're doing a pained expression. And just as the camera gets like two inches away from his face, he stops selling, opens his eyes, looks and sees the camera. <laughs> and he just doesn't know what to do. And it's one of those like, if you if you just like a muggle just watching wrestling, you'll just think like, yeah, whatever. But if you're someone who's wrestled, it's just one of those strange kind of <laughs> why why is your camera in my face? <laughs> yeah. Why why what do you, what do you expect me to do now? I like it when we're when cameras catch that moment when the selling stops, just for that brief instance, the the mask slips. Yeah, and you're gonna get that with the likes of Private Party. Like I say, they they hadn't been on like big TV before. This was a a new thing for him in a in very much a way. So yeah, you're, you're going to get little little things like that. I actually think, to a certain degree, slightly more amateur production does help wrestling. I think so. One of the things that I I have found hardest about WWE over the last few years isn't the matches, it isn't the wrestlers themselves, it's not the scripted uh, promos in ring, although they are painful. It is so overproduced. Mm-hmm. Uh, that more cuts than the Tony Scott film. Like every move, zoom in, smash cut, zoom in, smash cut. Uh, we know it's to try and sell the moves as being more impactful, but it ends up just looking more phony. And it kind of it gives me a headache, a bit like a Michael Bay film. Yeah, it's it's way too much. It is. It is too much. It totally is. So, AW slightly more amateur presentation and production sometimes actually helps sell the sports-based nature of the product. 100%. Because it's supposed to be on the fly. The camera crew aren't supposed to know where they're looking every, <laughs> yeah. every time. And it, it does it does sell the product well. So it's one of those funny things where I'm like, here's goof I'm pointing out, but it's really not. It does, mm-hmm. it does sell the product so much better. Now, the best friend hug, talking about production snafus, the best friend hug in this match, no zoom out. Yeah. And then a very slow zoom out about three seconds after the fact. Yeah, they kind of missed that one, um, which was a shame. You can kind of, in your mind's eye, you can see someone in the production truck going, zoom out now, go quicker than that. (laughs) Too late, you fucked it. And Excalibur hadn't got his, you've got to give the people what you want line. Yeah, either. And that that was jarring for me because I'm so used to them hugging Excalibur saying that. And I was like, oh, it's not zooming out. Excalibur hasn't said his line. It's all a bit odd. We're still in that formative period, yes, aren't we? Yes, yes. Um, it was a beautiful shooting star out of nowhere from Mark Quinn. That was very nice. Mm-hmm. Best friends win. What were your thoughts on this match? I thought it was great. Um, I thought it was a really good showing for Private Party. As I said, they, they weren't a known team. They were in there with two veteran teams. Um, and it you could tell it was a, a match put together to showcase Private Party, to to show this new upcoming team. Yes, they didn't win, but they they came out of it looking great, I thought. 
Yeah, my only real criticism, if I have to have a big criticism of the match, it's the, the kind of Meltzer driver moves that everyone does these days. The, the jump into a pile driver type finish. Right. Where you kind of, you brush the person taking the pile driver with like, you do a really fancy top rope flip, you kind of brush their back on the way down. Mm. And that's supposed to make the pile driver more impactful somehow. Um, but that's just me being hypercritical, but you see that quite a lot in early AEW. And you, yeah. you still see it now. It's one of those, it looks great on a video game, but actually like a pile driver on its own is just as impactful. You don't need your friend brushing against the back of your leg from a top rope spot to kind of make that more impactful. In my opinion, that's just me. Yeah, true. No, I, I get it. So we literally go straight from the end of this match into the Dark Order team. Yes. It's on... They're equivalent to a Titantron. We can see this on the entrance mm-hmm. viewpoint. Um, and it's in black and white, so you know it's serious. Yeah, spooky. Definitely serious. And we, we are seeing now the, the, the start of Dark Order proper, and the lights go off. Now, if I was in the arena at this point, I would fall down the stairs and sue <laughs> the production company. <laughs> Good idea. They just turn all the lights off. Yeah, yeah. You just chuck a, yeah, chuck a bucket of popcorn everywhere. <laughs> Pour the drink over your t-shirt and then just run down the bottom of the steps and lie down. Just lie down. <laughs> and then when the lights come back on, you'll be like, oh no, I fell down the stairs, man. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. um, so lights go off. Dark Order surrounds the ring. Mm-hmm. Everyone looks a bit confused. What's happening? Lights go out again. They've gone. Yes. Lots of indie fed talent on show. Yeah, the only one I noticed... Um, out the the creepers as they were known at the time that was surrounding the ring was Alan Angels who went on to be a, a proper member of the team um, he, quite recognisable because of his tattoos but he's the only one I was like oh yeah that's a guy there that became a Dark Order member proper um, no one else jumped out at me that I recognised but like you say they were probably just indie talent and people they had backstage that's interesting yeah tattoos can really give you away when you're under mm. a mask can't they yeah yeah that was that was the hardest part of when we did the double gimmicks in mm-hmm. power yes is we all had to find some way of covering our faces and our tattoos not always easy that's why there were so many kind of lower card gimmicks which were just people in boiler suits <laughs> that's it, yeah always works always works so after that match, we go to a box backstage section, ripping on the fire Festival. Yeah. Probably more amusing at the time. Yes. I think, I mean, at the time, you know how Netflix is, you get these documentaries come up and like for a two week period, they're like the thing that everyone's watching. Yeah. yeah. So at, at this time, everyone had just seen that. It was like with Tiger King at the start of the pandemic, everyone, everyone was watching Tiger King and now no one cares. Um, but yeah, at the time it was, it was, in the zeitgeist, everyone knew what knew what it was referencing. But looking back, it's a little bit, oh yeah, that was why they were doing it. And it, it doesn't quite click like it did back then. So on that subject, has Kenny Omega ever dressed up as Tiger King? I don't believe he has, no. Only at home, N- not not for a wrestling show. I like that you called him Kenny Omega there, who is like, could be Pac's brother. How are I'm Kenny Omega. <laughs> yes, that is what Pac would call Kenny <laughs> Very good, very good. Uh, so this is where the buy-in starts to go a bit downhill for me. We have quite an awkward promo between the librarians. Yes. Lever Bates and a man. Peter Avalon. Now, I don't know if it's that they didn't say his name or I just didn't care enough to find out. But this, this for me was proper awkward. 
Lever Bates. Uh, now, I understand she's trained by the Dudleys, so she's probably got something. The other guy just looked like every character from Napoleon Dynamite put in a blender. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see it. The librarian thing was very much a joke from BTE. The Bucks and Cody and Omega, they were EVP, so they had power and they wanted, they had this great idea for a gimmick. And it was like, I think it was Cody picked someone to be the librarian, so did the Bucks. So they had these two librarian gimmicks, um, which was Lever Bates and Peter Avalon. Um, so, it, and it never really, it wasn't a great segment on BTE. And they really tried with it for, for way too long um, to get this librarian thing going. Um, and it yeah it never never really worked. So yeah, Lever Bates. Um, if you hadn't seen, you may have seen her before. Sorry, uh, in NXT, she was never fully signed to WWE, but she did uh, do some shows with them. Uh, she was known as Blue Pants there um, because she wore blue tights and had blue hair, and she was teamed up with the Ford Villains at the time. Um, but yeah, she's a uh, she's known from the indie scene. She's wrestled everywhere on the indies. So, as if the the actual forced promo wasn't bad enough, this just go into a full match, mm. um, which is Ali, yep. as we know now as the Bunny versus Lever Bates. Uh, now, Ali has dark hair back back at this era of AEW, right? Not not the blonde bunny playboy look that she kind of has now. Um, and I couldn't help thinking she looked like Carol Vorderman <laughs> if Carol Vorderman ate all the stem cells. <laughs> yeah, that's a good call, I guess. Yeah, Ali had um, come from Impact prior to uh, AW, where she had done kind of a bit like a, the early Bailey gimmick, the someone who's full of fun and loves everyone. And she then got turned into this kind of dark... Um, spooky character in an angle that went on in Impact and at this point she was kind of being the bubbly bouncy baby face but then would also slip back into the the more evil character when the matches got a bit more serious so yeah she was kind of a, a wrestler of two gimmicks at the time well I don't want to crap on this match too much but it was definitely go home heat from the crowd yeah, it didn't. It didn't do well. No, they succeeded in one thing. Um, it was quieter than the library in there. <laughs> there you go. So uh, there was a books suck chant. Yeah. Um, there was this gimmick sucks mm-hmm. from the audience. Um, there was a commentary team defending being dumb, which only in America. <laughs> like when the commentary team are actually like, "Yeah, this crowd's dumb as fuck," and they're not taking the piss out of the crowd. They're on the crowd side yeah, 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 against yeah. the people in the ring who've read a book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that's that's weird because like every time a good wrestling book comes out, they tend to be the best New York Times bestseller mm. list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like wrestling fans aren't stupid. That's a, a real fallacy. The idea that wrestling fans are thick. Mm. Because in my experience, most wrestling fans are actually quite clever and switched on. Yeah, especially when you're get into it. Yeah, yeah. The the people that I find stupid are the people that think that we don't know how wrestling works yes yeah like yeah. You, you still get people going oh but but you know it's fake then you and it's just like how do you you can't it's too dumb i can't spend half hour explaining how little they don't know mm. to make them understand how much they don't know about what they're saying <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 so hard to defend wrestling against someone who is that stupid mm-hmm. because they you have to have a base level of understanding of 
well, storytelling, suspension of disbelief, yeah, and you know any story you've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like can't you can't watch a film then because it's not actually happened. Yeah, it's strange. It's yeah. strange, and it's like, well, I mean, oh, but you know what's going to happen? It's like, well, have you ever watched a film you really like a second time? Yeah, but you don't. You don't know what's going to happen when you watch wrestling, do you? You might have an idea, the same with anything, same with a book or a comic or a film. Yeah. But you, you haven't like got the script before you've watched it and gone, right, that's what's going to happen. Now I'm going to sit down and watch this live show and I know everything. It's still stuff happens you don't expect to see and there's twists and turns along the way. But even knowing hmm. doesn't affect yeah, a story, yeah. a yeah, movie completely. or even a sporting event. If someone says to you, oh, Mike Tyson knocked out Frank Bruno in the first round, yeah, you're going to want to see it. Definitely. It's not like, oh, well, I know the finish now. So yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. Bother. yeah. Um, but now, my fav- I did have a favourite moment in this match. Okay. Um, not, to sh- not to shit on the match itself too much. But someone in the crowd shouted to the second library, the one at ringside, the bloke. Peter Avalon. Someone shouted to him, that's not even a real book. <laughs> Which just, that's, that's my favourite crowd interaction tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good um, line Peter Avalon um, he's still with the company uh, he's part of the um, wingmen faction um, now and he he's on BT quite a lot and he is a very charismatic guy um, he's very funny um, so I think that's why he's always kind of put in these sort of jokey um, gimmicks none of them have really quite worked for him he goes by pretty Peter Avalon again now which is what he was before AEW uh, where he thinks he's a that's an indie fed name exactly he thinks he's you know Ric Flair in a 70s type character um, but yeah I, I'd like to see him one day get something that, that really clicks for him because uh, he, he has got what he needs to to like, be a, a decent hand um, but yeah he's, he's never quite got the right the right gimmick quite yet he'll get there Pete. he'll get there yeah so uh, Lever Bates with kept doing the shush gimmick throughout this match Mm -hmm. and that led Ali to work on the finger. (laughs) We got through the match. There was a nice Northern Light sequence. Good combination roll through from Lever where she put Ali into submission hold. Mm -hmm. Um, Ali wins in the end um, and thankfully the match doesn't forget all the build up from Double or Nothing and we get Brandy come out and kind yes. of reinforce the Brandy Alley storyline. So it is building, yeah. even a match like this, where I wasn't a big fan of it, mm-hmm. it is still part of the larger story. It is building something. If this was my first experience of AEW as a buy in, I'd buy out. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had to stop watching this and I went for a walk and thought about <laughs> my life choices. <laughs> yeah, that match only got uh, half a star from Dave Meltzer as well. So, yeah, not overly university love, universally love that one. <laughs> well, not just me then. No, so no. we're backstage again. We've got more fire comedy mm-hmm. from the Bucks and other people. No band. No. Nope. That's their big thing. Commentators are talking about the show is shaping up to be a real train wreck. Hmm. Well, that's that's brave, isn't it? On your buy-in show, <laughs> it's not the line you really want to use. It's like they'd they'd heard the word train wreck before, but didn't really associate it with a bad thing. It, it's they they're so caught up in the comedy of the yeah. fire festival. Thing yeah, yeah, yeah. That they kind of they're 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 kayfaving themselves. They're kind of forgetting what they're there for. They're you're supposed to be working to put the show over, and make people actually spend money on this. So they actually make you do the exact opposite. Somewhat of a gimmick match now. We get uh, Michael Nakazawa mm-hmm. against the CEO of CEO, yep. Alex Jabaley. That's it. 
Alex Jabaley, who I always, always want to call Jelly Baby. I just can't Brilliant. get it into my head that that's not how his name is said. I mean, his his tights basically look like they say jailbait throughout this match, <laughs> yeah. which isn't not not the best thing to have. Yes, on a wrestler's trunks, pedos and speedos springs to mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> Great team name. Tell us, tell us about these guys, Pete. Uh, Michael Nakazawa. So yeah, Naka Naka Nakazawa. He um, was uh, tag team partners with Kenny Omega back in DDT. I do believe they were tag team champions. Um, so yeah, he's come from a more sort of I don't want to say comedy company because DDT does have really great matches, but they they are they don't shy away from the fun stuff. Um, and Nakazawa was a prime example of that with uh, his gimmick of the Babel rubbing it all over himself. Um, that gets used. Um, for a brilliant, a brilliant save later on a, a future AW show, and we'll obviously mention it then. But yeah, that that's kind of Nakazawa. He's there for a bit of fun. He doesn't wrestle as much these days. You see him coming out with Kenny Omega um, all the time these days. But yeah, early on in AW, they he was on wrestling on a lot of the shows in the more comedy sort of fun side of things. Mm, okay, so Alex Bailey, he's the CEO, as we said, of a video game competition yes organization mm-hmm. um i presume a lot of this is on twitch a lot of it's live streamed yeah even wwe got involved with this with one of the members of the new day going to vince and saying video games wrestlers playing them this could be quite big mm-hmm. we do it on the road a lot let's start filming it and putting it out there and i actually went to one of their live yes. shows in new york um very entertaining it was too that's where i met cesaro and aj styles among others name dropping here we go yeah um so obviously a match like this, it's a bit of a throwaway. Mm-hmm. You always kind of think, was this? Did they kind of say to Alex Jabaley, like, well, if if we do this team up in collaboration for this show, you can have a match? Is that the way they got this guy involved? I wonder. Yeah, I I mean there there'd been something like a year earlier between Nakazawa and Jabaley, and I I don't really know where that was. But it had been something they were kind of building towards before AEW was a thing. Um, whether they were just going to do it on an indie or something along those lines. But Jabali had some sort of injury, so he, he couldn't do it. Um, right, I see. But yeah, so it happened on this. And like I say earlier, uh, Kenny Omega, huge, huge video game fan, especially the fighting games where the tournaments are all connected. And I, he's, he's got a working relationship with um, a few of the video game sort of tournament companies so it, it made sense i guess and that duff definitely does come to play later in the show but we'll talk mm-hmm. about that at the time yes so the criticism you get of a match of this type from a lot of people is um in a way it shows that anyone can do the move mm-hmm. for me my distinction has always been that yes an amateur can learn to do a move but what actually a pro wrestler does any professional does is they learn to always do it right. Yes, exactly. And that, to me, is a big distinction between an amateur dude throwing out a scoop slam and someone going out there and doing this day after day, week after week, safely, entertainingly. It's a huge distinction. I think I wish people would remember that distinction. And it's not just wrestling. You can put that distinction on anything. Yeah. I mean, with wrestling, it's so obvious as well that you've seen someone like a celebrity they'll do a scoop slam and you can tell that's like the 10th time they've maybe done it they've practiced it but yeah someone who's just done countless hours of training and it's just second nature there's there's just the you know the grace i guess 
where a, a, a trained wrestler will do a move compared to someone who's been shown it a few times. It, it's so obvious. Totally, totally. So it's a throwaway match. It's meant to be a bit silly, mm-hmm. which means it's all about the match length. Yeah. If this goes on more than 10 minutes, it's going to be hard to watch. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, it doesn't go on too long. Yeah, it's not far off. It was uh, 8 minutes, 50 seconds. Which which is right. That's yeah. what you want. There yeah. is a big escalation in this match, though, because you go from a lot of funny comedy spots mm-hmm. to an attempted drowning in <laughs> a paddling pool. Yeah. yeah. So, wrestling move, wrestling move, lock up, attempted murder. Yeah, from the non-wrestler as well. Just what I'm going to resort to drowning my opponent. So they always say in wrestling, you can go from wrestling to fighting at any point in the match, but mm-hmm. you can't go back from fighting to wrestling. Yeah. Um, but you can come back from attempted murder. Yes, so you can. Good. It's fine. It's all right. Uh, brilliant bit where Alex Jabaley is smiling while he's being choked. Yes, I noticed that. Yeah. That helps sell it. <laughs> and there was a table spot in this comedy match on the buy. <laughs> so that's, that's good because there's <laughs> quite an important table spot in the main event. Mm, uh, yes. But we already had it in the buy-in. So. <laughs> there was an overhead belly-to-back suplex as well. And I just thought, imagine imagine if that is the move that crippled you and it was for this match. Yeah, and again, Alex Jabaley doing that move to Nakazawa. Uh, Nakazawa didn't, almost didn't get over. It was a, it was a bit of a mm. rough landing, but yeah, he, he came out of it unscathed. It was all him doing it. Yeah, all completely, yeah. And after the belly to back, there was a fong to the face mm. of the referee. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that that should have thrown the match out straight away. If I was the referee, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're done. There isn't even going to be a show. No, now. that's it. And Turn I'd it just, off. I'd send everyone home. Which, to be honest, I think the Bucks would have found funny. They could have <laughs> used that as part of the, um, you know, if the fight of their show hadn't happened because <laughs> the referee took a fong to the face, that would have really tied in with their little fire festival jokes, wouldn't it? Very true, yeah. So I'm guessing JR had no interest in commentating these three matches. <laughs> no, I, I guess you don't use JR for the buy-in, do you? No, totally not. Uh, so now, though, before the show starts, we get a Mox promo. Mm. And <sighs> great. We, this is a star. This is people... People know, people want to see him wrestle because he hasn't actually had a wrestling match with AW yet. People want this. And I thought, well, maybe lead with this. Mm. This, If you open the very beginning of the show with this and then the package that they use for the intro of the show, if they use that video package at the end of the buy-in, because, again, you're showing mocks again, but you're also showing what happened in Double or Nothing... Mm -hmm. To me, that sells the show and the whole point of the buy-in so much more than yeah. the buy-in did. Yeah. Anyway, we had nearly talked as long about the buy-in as the buy-in itself was, so we are <laughs> going to move on to the main show straight away. So we're into the main show now, and that's good because there's there's no point showing mocks if people have stopped watching. So let's get let's get into the whole show itself. Good intro package, very attitude era. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm always fine with that. Yeah. Now, something we've talked about a lot in person, and we've never actually discussed on the podcast. Uh, we've always talked about the big ages of wrestling, and obviously there's been a few major ages of wrestling. Now, the Freebirds, their era of wrestling was just good old rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, people talk about the WWE and its rock and wrestling connection. That kind of went all the way through to the hair metal era. Yeah. Especially new generation was very hair metal. Mm. Oh, yeah, mullets galore. And that was happening just as ECW kind of started as an upshot company. And then by the time ECW really got going, 
in the mid-90s, they were grunge. Yep. We've always said Attitude Era and Ruthless Aggression Era, that was new metal. Yep. And we've always discussed that wrestling does tie into big ages in music. Hmm. And we always kind of jokingly said that in order for wrestling to become really popular in the mainstream again, it's going to take a new sort of rock and roll to do it. But actually, what I think has happened is the biggest music at the moment is nostalgic. Yeah, that's the the advent of streaming, isn't it? Um, because like out the, the the charts, which when we were kids, it used to be a big thing. That was what told you what was popular. The charts aren't really necessarily just based on single sales now, really at all. It's based on what the streaming figures are. Uh, and because you know you've got Spotify or Apple Music or whatever you use, you're not hindered by oh, I can only buy an album this month. I've got to be careful. You can spend the price of an album, listen to everything that's ever been um so yeah it, it is people finding music through other means like stranger things is a great example of that people find kate bush through stranger things and she's had a resurgence due to that so yeah it's it's a different world for music these days yep kate bush and metallica have been the best-selling songs in england in 2022 mm. and it is as you say because of stranger things and i think that's something that aw perhaps unknowingly they have tapped into when you think mm-hmm. about both entrance musics in uh, Orange Cassidy's case, but also Jungle Boy uses nostalgic music from the past. And that's a really great use of music because kind of everyone has forgotten that track. And then when you hear it in the right context, you're like, oh, this is this is actually really good. Um, and I kind of think that at some point in the future when Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus get back together, he needs to start using Everybody Walk the Dinosaur. Nice. Right? Gotta happen. So lots of nostalgic music in AEW, but not so much at this point, because at this point even Moxley hasn't quite got the wild thing yet. Yeah, a lot of the wrestlers early on in uh, AEW especially were just using music that was either their music before they came into the company or new themes for themselves. Uh, obviously Mox had come from his big running WWE, so he didn't necessarily have a theme at this point. He had uh, on the indies, he had a few indie matches, he'd used songs like Aneurysm by Nirvana. But yeah, he was just using a, a theme made for him by AEW, by Ruckus. Uh, he's the guy that does a majority of the AEW themes. Um, and yeah, it wasn't until, I want to say, his uh, explaining barbed wire match with Kenny Omega that he started using Wild Thing. Interesting, interesting. So we're straight into the first match on this show, and it is Chris Daniels versus Shima from The mm-hmm. Strong Heart. So this is really, I yes. like this, because this is a continuation of... Yep. A story started on Double or Nothing. Double or Nothing, obviously, we had the triple threat opening the show. Now we are having the singles version of that to open the next show. Yes. A very indie territories thing to do. It, it tells the story. Mm-hmm. It's two guys who already know how to work together. It keeps things tight. And the audience, you trust the audience to know, oh, well, hang on, this is what opened the last show. Yeah. You'll notice they're using SC, all three members are being used to open the show because they were so popular there three known names that you know you're going to get a good match out of so it, it makes sense to use these guys to be the the show openers for sure they mentioned that chris daniels was in a tag team with shima mm. they were formerly the team known as super curry max when back when chris daniels was curry man that's right yeah for those of you who didn't know chris daniels was curry man <laughs> the worst kept secret in, in wrestling <laughs> yeah 
Now, one thing I thought was interesting is Shima is wearing scar makeup right over one eye. Um, a little bit of foreshadowing there because he's wearing it over the same eye that Daniels does end up screwing up in May ah. 2021. So yeah, maybe he knew. Bit of foreshadowing, meaning, <laughs> or just yeah. pointless coincidence. <laughs> we'll go with the, the, the. We won't say the latter. No, we'll, it was planned. So uh, we discussed Strong Hearts and OWE uh, last week when we talked about Double Nothing. Do you want to tell me a bit of background about Shima here? Yeah, I mean, Shima was, um, again, the standout from that kind of group. He was the the known guy, if you were a big fan of Japanese wrestling and Oriental wrestling. Obviously, he did OWE in China, but he had wrestled in Japan a fair amount. He's uh, in New Japan on and off at the moment but yeah he was a, a big a big get for aw early on um a lot of people were excited to work with him um especially uh the elite they i think they were the guys that kind of bought him in um yeah and he was going to be i think a fairly big thing in early aw but the pandemic hit he had to go back home and he's uh not been back over since to work aw but yeah very early on um he was definitely an exciting name to see in america this is kind of his first big foray into mainstream american wrestling so a lot of people were excited to see him well he's probably been locked in his flat by the government since the start of the pandemic so mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> super old school jim ross on commentary throughout this match uh-huh. mentioning the winner's purse damn right mm. he wants to win he wants the biggest share of the winner's purse about as old school right. as it gets. I like that. And it's really nice because you can hear, this is obviously quite early in his time not working for the Fed. You can mm-hmm. hear him actually being allowed to speak about wrestlers from history. So he mentions yes. uh, Antonio Inoki. He mentions Scott Steiner. Uh-huh. And there's like some genuine love and affection in JR's mm. voice as he's getting to discuss stuff that in, in WWE, it's not part of the brand. It's not something we're trying to put over. Just don't mention yep. it. He actually gets yeah, exactly. to be a wrestling commentator mm. in AEW. Yeah, it's great. It's really nice. It's not always good, though, because he does refer to everyone in Strong Hearts as Oriental. <laughs> yes. Yeah, not ideal, that. I no, mean, no. technically, you're right, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Moved on a little bit from that. But I don't think anyone would ever <laughs> hold that against you. Everyone no, 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 no. Solid opener. I don't actually have much to say about this match because it's it, it did exactly what you want it to. Get six mm. going. Anything that caught your eye in this one? It was it was great. It was a good match. Uh, both guys, you know, you're going to get at least a decent match out of them, and and that's what they gave. It 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 was a, a good opener. I think it was the best match on the card that they could have opened with. So it was the right move to have this start the show for sure. Definitely. And we moved into the second match straight away, and it is a women's triple threat. Or as they mm. know now, triple threat. Uh, and this is Rio versus Nyla Rose versus Yuka Sakazaki. And what's interesting about this match is it's actually the match we were promised at Double or Nothing. Yes. Before they brought out Brandy and uh, Awesome Kong. So that's, to yeah. me, that's very clever because you kind of promised a story which mm-hmm. everyone everyone knew what that story was going to be. Everyone knew this was going to basically be a handicap, taking down Nyla Rose. And then we didn't get that because we had another big big woman come out. But we get to have that show now. So that, to me, that's really clever because you, you've got your cake and you're eating it. Yeah, exactly. You are selling the same cake to the same audience twice and they're mm-hmm. happy to eat it again. Definitely. Cracking booking. So... For me, first two matches of this show, very strong. And it does make me, it does reinforce my wish that I hadn't touched the buy-in. 
<laughs> yes, yeah, it, it does feel like a totally different show, doesn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, absolutely. And it's very different to the four-way last week, as they are playing the handicap storyline, as you imagined they would. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to be a two-in-one fight, except when it isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one of my favourite spots in this match was the double camel clutch. Right, yeah. Not sure if I've seen that before. Uh, it, it just looked great. It's it's just one of those things that the audience knows what's coming. As soon as she cinched in the first one, the crowd are there. They know what's coming. Um, and they do a great, great job of helping the wrestlers tell the story, which is what you want. Um, JR goes out of his way to point out how good a job of blending in Aubrey is doing. Yes, yeah. At least she was until he pointed it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this kind of backfires away, doesn't <laughs> and then, it? And then everyone's like, "Oh yeah, look how good a job she's doing." <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time tonight that I'm going to mention how annoying the fight app is at rewinding and fast forwarding and getting stuck and then kind of looping right. on itself. I'm going to mention it once okay. here, just so when I'm angry later on, it'll make a bit more sense. <laughs> uh, okay. Few things the crowd was super hot for in this match. Nyla Rose jumping to the top rope. Mm-hmm. That that was cool because like anyone of a certain size, when they climb to the top rope, you get a build from the audience. Yeah, yeah. But having someone that size jump to the top rope, getting a knee up, doing a knee drop uh, across her opponent who's hang up on the ropes, really impressive. Looks great. Oh, it's just solid move, and the audience just they went caca for that. Like. Even if the show hadn't brought the audience in at this point, that move would have done it. Yeah, Nyla was perfect in this match. She was such a good base uh, for both Yuka and Rio in this. Um, she didn't put a foot wrong. She was where she needed to be at all times. Um, did some impressive stuff to really sort of show how powerful and strong she is. While at the same time as well, putting over Rio and Yuka as, as having the edge, obviously, with their speed and their quickness. And Rio is tiny one of the smallest wrestlers you'll see but and going against Nyla you'd think that's not really going to work but somehow those two together just put on some great great matches that you, that you do buy into and you do believe everything that's happening um yeah everyone just worked so well together in this match and it's difficult enough feeding for one person and being where you need mm. to be at all times yeah doing that yeah. for two people uh, is such an underappreciated job because obviously the faces, the two smaller girls, they're the ones getting all the rub from this match. Yeah. But for those who appreciate and understand wrestling at a wrestling level, Nyla was, as you say, didn't put a foot wrong. Was always where she needed to be. Not an easy job. Not an easy job. She did it great. No. No. And lots of original sequences throughout that I'd never yes. seen before. They really took yeah. advantage of the fact that this is we've got a unique setting here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. One of those was a double catch from the top ropes into the kind of fall away slam carry position. Uh, Nyla catches both of them. Crowd are hot for that. Uh, and that leads directly into the into a pinfall attempt. I think I would have preferred it had she just gone for a double fall away slam with both of them. Right, yeah. Um, I don't know how practical it would be due because there's a lot of variables on how the, the mm. two small girls are going to land from that. But it would look yes. good and the crowd would have popped for it. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. You, you get the pin in there. Um, it's a sneaky win. It doesn't lose anything. Mm-hmm. Nyla doesn't come across bad getting beaten in such a manner. You don't think less of the smaller women for beating her that way. That was sort of always how it's going to end. Textbook. Yeah. If you were running a wrestling school, this is one of those matches that you could put up and play over and over again. Mm-hmm. This yeah, is how yeah. you do a triple threat. This is how you tell a story. This is how you feed. Um, 
top top marks all round. Yeah, yeah, great one. So we move on to the third match, and before we do, Kip Sabian comes out and joins the commentary team. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't recognise him without his cardboard box. <laughs> yeah, very different look for Kip Sabian at this point. Yeah. Now, presumably, the cardboard box gimmick. Not only was it a good storytelling foil to kind of get under Pac's skin, but I'm guessing it meant that wasn't always him under it at every show. I think it was. Um, <laughs> I, I okay. believe it was. Yeah, he was. He was always there. Um, it was. It was a, a gimmick he started doing um, after he had recovered from his injury, um, and he wanted to do this like I'm ready to go, but I'm not being used type thing. So yeah, he sat there with that box on his head. Um, and at first it was like he wasn't there I don't think anyway he was there every show but eventually I think probably the nearer they had to the plan of him coming back properly they just stuck him there all the time and I like that they never really drew attention to it it's not like oh there's a man in a box in the crowd that's weird isn't it it was just never really mentioned up until it was time to to go with it see I'd I'd noticed him at ringside several times Mm. and I'd seen it on social media a bit but I hadn't connected the dots to kind of Kip Sabian. And I just presumed it was some influencer or live streamer, right. Twitch guy, right. maybe someone on the indie scene kind of trying to get himself over and notice uh, Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. That, yeah. That's what I thought it was. It just, because you do, you do pick up when you've watched wrestling a long time. There are certain faces you see in front rows over and over again. And you're like, oh, you start to notice them, which is yes. really weird. But a man in the cardboard box is always going to stand out a little bit more than your average show. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, true. Yeah, no, they've done a great job. We're talking, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves because obviously the blow off mm. to Kip Sabian pack is very much a 2022 thing. Yeah, but it is interesting, and it is the first time we've really talked about Kip Sabian properly, so mm. that's okay. Yes, so let's get into yeah. the four way Pete, mm. and what a four way it is. Yeah, not a bad uh, selection of talent there. We have got a good selection of talent, as you say. We have got MJF versus Jungle Boy versus Jimmy Hammock. Versus Adam Page. Yeah. The winner faces Kip Sabian. That's it. Three of the four are still involved in the company. We spoke about uh, Jimmy Havoc um, and his issues at the last show. He was part of that speaking out movement and was quickly removed from the roster. Um, But yeah, we do see him a bit on these first sort of couple of months of shows. Yeah, it was his girlfriend, Rebecca Crowe, that actually outed him as being abusive. Right. Um, so I, I know more about her than I do about him, strangely. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've studied her. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Now, um, J, JR says an interesting thing. He says, MJF reminds him of Paul Heyman. Right, he does, yes. yeah. And then MJF must have heard that somehow. He must have really good sonic hearing. Because he then cuts the most ECW promo I've heard since <laughs> the last ECW promo, ending with your mum swallows to a member mm-hmm. of the crowd. Um, yes. Great promo. If you've not seen it, it's worth going back and find hunting out. I mean, the whole match is worth hunting out, to be honest, uh, if not the whole show. Mm. MJF adds, I used to love video games until I lost my virginity. Yeah, and classic. Then the, whoever was in the trailer picks on someone in the audience because they then cut to the most oh yeah the saddest Looks devastated yeah most, like there's a guy in the crowd he must he must be a virgin like yeah because he takes it personally he looks so so browbeat by this it's it's hilarious. like the night before 
he'd oh. met a girl and he thought, hey, this is my time, going to happen, and it didn't. So it's still, it's still really raw as well. But yeah, he was. That was such a good find. I think someone in the production truck trailer must have been in the same bar, seen that happen, clocked <laughs> yeah. in the crowd, and gone right. Well, we need to. Uh, you, you couldn't have picked a better sad face to land on than that. No, it was so good. Um, if I had Jimmy Havoc's hair, I'd shave. Hmm. Yeah, um, it's for the best. Which is what yeah. I did actually. <laughs> yeah. So, just, just let it go. It's, it's gone. Um, yeah. Now they they call him the king of the goths, but um, I have I have it on authority that he's actually been a delivery driver for king for for DPD right. recently. So I'm going to call him the king of DPD. Yeah, he's smashing it. Yeah, sort of the anti DDP, the king of mm-hmm. DPD. He's the master of the self harm five. <laughs> nice little little self harm joke for you there in 2022. Yeah, lovely. If, if you need help, yeah. seek it out. So we open with Page versus Jungle Boy. Uh, come on, we could do that match all day. That That's a good enough match in itself. Yeah. Uh, one of my favourite things about Page Jungle Boy, and I haven't actually seen them go at it much, if at all, um, in, in recent AEW times. No, no, I think you're right there. But both of them, when I watch them, I always kind of think, if you book these guys right, they are excellent at being the guys you can't get a jump on. They're always mm-hmm. one step ahead. Any sneak yeah. attack, any foot grabbing on the ropes, you can write these guys as smart enough to not see any of the old tricks coming. Yes. And I always think when, when they do that with these two guys, it's so believable. Um, probably more mm-hmm. so of Jungle Boy because he is of smaller stature. So if you just make yeah. him clever, uh, mm-hmm. it does it does really help sell his stuff. Yeah. Spring off turnbuckle, Jungle Boy hits the almost lands on head. That's my note. I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's try and break that down and decipher it, Pete. Spring off turnbuckle. We know what that is. Yeah. Oh, no, we do. Mm-hmm. I do know what that is. So there's a spot in the match where everyone's out of the ring. And right. usually, do rather than doing like uh, a top rope to a cedar or a tope through the ropes, Jungle Boy climbs onto the connecting metal bar between the turnbuckles and the turnbuckle pads. Right, yeah. And he kind of... He, he's pushing off of his triceps and he lifts his back legs, tucks under, and tries to do like a 360 splash backwards. But his right, feet yes, yes, just yes. hit the turnbuckle. It's a difficult yeah. spot to describe because it doesn't have a snappy name or anything. Because I think he tried it here this once and I don't know if he ever went back to it. Yeah, and I think you're right. Yeah, it's probably not worth risking again. Absolutely. It's one of those things that if you get it right, it looks great. Mm-hmm. If you don't get it right, you land on your head and you look like a tit. Um, yes. And he, he did almost land on his head, but thankfully there were three other guys. Always easy to do a move like that on multiple opponents because you've got more chances of getting caught if something goes a bit wrong. Real shame, though. He went for it. It could have been really something quite special. Didn't quite land it. Slight oversell from J- MJF in this match as well. MJF is someone who, for me, he sells the story of the match at all points. Yeah, yeah. Both in delivering moves, taking moves, facials between moves. But there's a point in this where he goes to hit someone on the head and they move and he hits the turnbuckle. Right, yeah. And he sells it like he's just punched like titanium steel. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. like he's just trying yeah, to punch yeah, yeah. Robocop in the dick or something. He just like And he sells the hand <laughs> so much. And it's like, yeah. dude, you, you just punched a turnbuckle. <laughs> so, so note that one. 
because that's a very rare criticism of MJF. Yeah, MJF um, at this point he was like some heels they they will do that. Um, like a prime example is uh, Shawn Michaels versus Hulk Hogan. Everything Michaels does, <laughs> his bumps, his selves, is just over the top. Um, and some heels will, will do that. And MJF was a bit guilty of doing that in some of his um, earlier AW bits and pieces. And he's kind of moved away from that now. He realises he doesn't necessarily need to do it. I think it's fine to do that out of spite, like how Shawn mm-hmm. Michaels was doing it. That's, that's yeah, 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 yeah. Way. So um, Page, Adam Page, is he working a little injured in this match? He's got a bit of support tape on, or is that just selling the story of the kicking he took earlier? Yeah, I, I don't know if it was legit. Um, I, th- I think if it wasn't that have probably made more attention to it because he did have like the the flesh colored tape on so it wasn't like a a big deal i mean it gets brought up by jim ross in the match that he has got tape on you might not see it because it's flesh colored um so it could have been something more legit because it wasn't like a, a target it's not like ddp and his bandage ribs back in the day where it was just he was basically a mummy yeah, that was just so he didn't have to work out his abs, which, of course, <laughs> the Zen master of yoga now, it wouldn't be a problem. Mm. Um, so Adam Page, of course, they're still they're still long-selling this feud with Pac. Didn't happen mm-hmm. when it was supposed to. It is still going. Yep. They haven't forgot it. So that the tape help, helps, helps sell that. One yes. of the problems, though, using flesh-coloured tape, is when it starts to come loose, it looks a little <laughs> bit like he shits himself. <laughs> yeah, always Which, a risk. Not, not, not good doing the Sid Vicious WrestleMania 13 mm. tribute. Um, yeah. Or maybe it's not. He's not shot himself. Maybe he's just torn his tights. Yeah, maybe potentially. I, I don't know which one's worse. Mm. Um, yeah, no, not good. <laughs> I, I know when I have a ladder in my tights in public, I feel like I've shot myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. MJF goes for a pin attempt in this match, and he puts his feet on the ropes. Naughty. It's so weird that in this day and age, looking at that, you're like, I don't see that very often. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's such a staple heel move. It's so easy. It always draws heat. Mm -hmm. And it just so seldom gets used. Yeah, I think part of stuff like that is, you've said it before, like heels are more worried about being a cool heel and they don't want to resorts that they still want to wrestle like a, a flashy face style but as a heel but you know heels should do stuff like that because it like you say it gets booze so easily and it's just such an obvious thing it's like when you're in a submission grabbing the ropes and pulling yourself towards it to put more talk you don't see that a lot either um yeah and those little things they just work so well they're so easy and you, you think it would just be second nature to do these things absolutely and another big one of those of course is cheap heat Everyone's doing top rope dives and through the ropes. Fake <laughs> yes. it. Go to do it and don't. And and of course, yeah. MJF does do that in this match. Great cheap heat for MJF from there. I love it. That's what I want to see he'll do. Trip down some stairs every once in a while. Like Just look yeah. like an idiot. Make the crowd mm-hmm. remember you. I remember I did that indie show for 4FW and it was just a Royal Rumble I was in. I, had like, I didn't really have anything to do in that match. It was just go in and get thrown out. So I fell down the steps when I came out completely intentionally. Right. And that got such cheap heat from the audience. They saw it instantly uh-huh. and they're pointing at you going, ah, and then they kind of keep their eye on you for the rest of the match. Yeah. And, yeah, and I just yeah. did I just did a road dog and basically just got in the ring, first bump, I fell down and I just held onto the bottom rope for the rest of the match. <laughs> I just <laughs> that did works for me. But it got yeah. attention more than yeah, working. Exactly. Like you, you can 
you can take the cheap route some days. Mm. Oh yeah, that's what <laughs> it's worth for. doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? No bumps. What some of my favourite shows I've come out with, and like I remember once I I wrestled. I think I wrestled three matches in one show. And I took one bump. <laughs> That's but that one it. bump was an electric chair drop <laughs> as El Skell. If you're only going to take one, you've got to take a big one. Yeah, it was great. It, that was one of my favourite shows. It really was a good one. Back to Fighter Fest, uh, we have another singles match. We have Darby Allen versus Cody Rhodes. All just Cody at this point. He's not allowed to use the Rhodes. They're very clever with how they introduce him. It's always Cody with Brandy Rhodes. Ah, yeah. I thought they were just doing that to sell the relationship. I didn't. I didn't actually. Cocky no. wasn't allowed to use Rhodes. It's always been very discussed whether he like at the time people were like why don't you use the Rhodes name? The common thing was it was trademarked by WWE. Cody for a long time was like I can, I don't want to. Yeah. But then once he could use it. He did. Suddenly he used it all the time, yeah. <laughs> interesting, interesting. But where we're going, we don't need roads. Now, this is a really interesting one, because by the time I started watching AEW, Darby had had two huge rubs. Right. One, just having Sting with you. Mm-hmm. Huge. Two, Punk coming out and name-dropping you as the guy I want to have the first match with. Yeah. So by the time I actually saw Darby Allen wrestle his first match, to me... It was like, well, I've got to pay this guy some attention. Yeah. I try and watch these shows and try, I try and forget what I already know, if that's possible, mm-hmm. and watch it as if it was going out then for the first time. And it's a really interesting thing to do because it's a very different Darby Allen we're getting here mm-hmm. at the start of the match. Obviously, we just had Jimmy Havoc come out. And in this one, you have Darby Allen come out. And I thought. Was this part of the deal of selling the T-shirts in Hot Topic that they had to take on a few of their members of staff? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they could have just been recruited from Hot Topic. Um, what had, for a novice like me, what had Darby done before this match? I mean, I hadn't seen a massive amount of Darby before this match. For this match. And again, I think he was one of these guys that had got a bit of a buzz just because of how crazy he is. Um, I've seen some stuff he'd done with Ethan Page in the past um, where Derby took some ridiculous moves and bumps. Um, so he'd got a reputation built on that, that he was, he didn't care about himself. He would take these crazy bumps and crazy moves. And he did have this very interesting look and demeanour that you hadn't really seen in the wrestling business at this point. So I can see why they wanted him. Um, but yeah, he'd just been doing indies again. He's one of those guys that hadn't been anywhere huge. Um, but he had got a bit of a a cult following at this point, for sure. It's really interesting on this one, because as we say, didn't know a lot about him going in either of us. You knew his reputation. When you see the guy, if you're going by ring tire alone, the only thing I dislike about Darby Allen, I actually really like Darby Allen. The only thing I dislike about him is his ring attire. Yeah. Because it looks like he's nicked clothes from his sister's wardrobe. <laughs> it looks like it's, a, it's a interesting look. It is. It looks like he's found his sister's Daisy Duke shorts, thrown them in the washing machine with some dye until they're nice and goth black. Put them on. Realised they're a bit small, so he's gone back to his sister's drawer and taken some tights <laughs> out, put them yeah. on, and gone. Yeah, yeah, that'll do. That'll blend. That's in. it. 
Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm sure it moves well, and I get mm. he's going for an aesthetic, but he can do better than those tights and those ringers here. It, it looks... Yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. a great look. Um, like, everything about him, the tattoos, the face paint, it all drives forward to push one gimmick. And it's not like he needs fancy ring attire. No, it's just black jeans that do. Yeah. Or even like cut off at the knee so he can still yeah, have yeah. The flexibility. Just something. Something to mm. improve his look. But it's kind of established now, so I don't think there's anything to do but that. What was interesting for me is at the start of this match, I wasn't really getting much from it. Right. It was a, this is this is the definition for me of a slow build match. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Everything is taking its time. It's one of those ones, in hindsight, because of how it goes, it makes sense. For me, it went from being the first ten minutes, dum de dum de dum de dum we're wrestling a fucking match, to my favourite match on the whole show. And the way it did that was one of my favourite devices in wrestling, when used well, is a time limit draw. Mm-hmm. So, spoiler for the end of the match, if you haven't seen it already, <laughs> but that is how it ends. What's beautiful is the match starts off and Cody's like, who is this guy? Come on. He's a bit of a joke. Yeah. I've been the NWA champ. I've helped form this company. I'm part of the Codes family, the Rhodes family legacy. And I've got this guy who looks like he works at Hot Topic. And he's all goth and tortured. Like As Excalibur says, pain has been the only constant in his life. Well, stop jumping off things. <laughs> simple as that. Like, there's, there's a line from Jim Ross as well. It's like, it's a bit like Kurt Cobain. It's like, well, he's not. It's just because they're both from, like, they, they've both got the name in Seattle. It's like, I, I see what you're trying, but yeah. I, I didn't know if it's just that JR thought they were both new. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from his perspective. Um, yeah. so, so you get a lot of those spots of this match where it's like, Cody's like, who is this guy? I'm just going to throw him yeah. around. Which leads yeah. into that really rough bump where Darby's obviously small enough, he can fit between not just the the, the top and middle ropes, he can fit between mm-hmm. the top and middle turnbuckles. Yes. So Cody wings him into the into the turnbuckles, he goes through the turnbuckles, into the post, hits it, he hits it a bit off centre, harder than he probably wanted to, spins off onto the floor, a dishevelled mess, it looks painful, it looks like that could be the end of the match there, but guess what happens this small little goth dude whose only friend is Payne gets back up, gets back in the ring. And that is the whole story of this match. Yeah. And Cody sells it brilliantly. And by the end of the match, it's not a joke. Yeah, it's very much a a coming out match for Derby. Like we said earlier, he wasn't a known guy from a big company prior to this, but they obviously saw something very special in him and they wanted him to have a marquee match, but they didn't want him to lose. And it was the perfect way of establishing him. It was a great way of establishing him. This is his, for me, this is his first big rub. Before Sting, before mm-hmm. Punk, Cody makes yep. this guy in this match. Absolutely. Yes. Because it gets to the point where, you know, we hear the time limit coming, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And it's around the 15 minute mark where every match has had someone announcing time left in the match to the crowd. Mm-hmm. This was the yep. only match where the referees kind of pointed it out and reinforced it every time it happened. So I, I clicked early that this was coming. It was going to be a time limit draw. When they get to like 18 minutes and Cody's like, shit, I've got to put this guy away. It gets to a minute. Mm-hmm. I can't put this guy away. 30 seconds. Cody actually sells panic. Like It's not like he's ever in threat of losing to this guy. 
Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He it, never once in the match does he look like I might lose, mm-hmm. but it is just a story of I can't put him away. Yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. It's it's a really good match. Again, that's two matches on the show that I'm going to say you could show this in wrestling school to to, to yeah. explain different things. Obviously, Nyla Rose, how to feed two people at once. This is how to make an opponent that the crowd don't know. Yes. Um, no, it's just brilliant. Um, it's I can't say too much about it other than watch it. It's just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. And that's how you make someone as well, for sure. Yeah, it's totally how you make someone. No question. Highlights of the match for me, the apron coffin drop always looks good. Oh, that's rough, yeah. Yeah, looks horrible, doesn't it? It's. <laughs> I mean, the, the move looks tough. At any point, it looks like, yeah, uh, Darby's hurting himself to hurt his opponent. That's part of the story of his character, so it always makes sense. But doing it on not just the apron, but right on the edge of the apron as yeah. in this match, yeah. it's horrible. My question for you, though, Pete, I do have one question about this match. Uh-huh. Does a body bag constitute as a foreign object? Well, that's a good point. Cause you can't, if you hit someone with it, it's not going to do much damage, is it, really? Yeah, I, I guess it is in theory, but at the referee's discretion, if he thinks it's going to sway the match, yeah. Because because Cody literally puts Darby in the body bag, zips it up, yeah, stands yeah. him up, and hits him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a really good match. There are lots lots of slow build, slow storytelling. Like they explain a whole character. I'm just repeating myself. Um, really good. Bit of afterbirth though at the end. Um, you, you get you get a lot of booing from the crowd at the time limit draw. Why mm. why do that? Why do that? Yeah, I think it's one of those things. Wrestling fans at this point aren't really conditioned to finishes like that. It's either a straight win or interference. Um, so to have a a match end like that, it's like well that's not what we have come to expect. So we don't like it. Mm. Um, yeah, it's one of those. Maybe in hindsight, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, it makes sense once they see where it goes and how Darby's character develops. But yeah, it's it's getting out of that that mentality of this is what I expect all wrestling to be like. And AEW are kind of trying to say, no, we're doing different things that you might not be used to seeing. I appreciate that though. I think they actually really made. Yeah. You don't have to make Brian Danielson, but having Brian Danielson mm-hmm. go to a time limit draw with uh, Kenny and then Adam Page. Didn't make yeah. anyone look bad. No, definitely not. Yeah. They were, they were both brilliant. So Sean Spears comes out, starts throwing his chair around, cracks Cody Rhodes, uh, Cody, as, as you correctly pointed out, um, <laughs> cuts him up wide open. It's it's a big, nasty yeah. cut on his head, back of his head. Doesn't look nice at all. Was was that just Cody was contractually obligated to bleed and he hadn't yet? It wasn't meant to happen. Um, there was a big thing about it at the time. People were like, why did he swing the chair like that? And why did Cody happily take it like that? It was meant to be a gimmick chair and it wasn't. Right. Um, so, yeah, it, it kind of it went the way it was meant to, but with the wrong prop. Sean Spears kind of whisked the chair in from the side rather than bring it straight down. Yeah. It was meant to explode, I do believe. And it, oh, it was supposed to explode. Okay. That... Yeah, it was meant to be a gimmick chair that kind of just disintegrated but it was a, just a, a normal oh, regular chair no yeah. no you you get that a lot from people who are just starting out and they don't want to hit you too hard and they kind mm-hmm. of just whisk the chair across and it cracks yeah. you in a much more painful way because you just you take the edge of it on the side of your yeah. head much worse than taking the flat of the chair across the hall of your head um mm-hmm. if you're going to hit someone just hit them properly 
So we're not going yeah. to talk too much about Sean Spears because I'm sure he's going to show up in future shows and we'll get into who he is and why he did it at that point. MJF comes out to help. That was a bit weird. Mm-hmm. Didn't get that. Yeah, well, MJF was very much associated with Cody right at the start of the company um, to the point where we know what MJF's like now. But at the time, yes, he had come out and cut very Hill promos, but at the same time, he was presented as Cody's best friend. Um, so there was kind of this this line that they were skirting with the characters at the time. You'll see it more as we go on. Right, okay. I kind of plucked, because um, he's wearing his Nightmare Factory jacket. Yes. With yeah, his little yeah. MJF initials on it. And I kind of clocked it was mm-hmm. just going to be tying into their training facility. So it, it did make some sense at the time, even if I didn't know all the details. Um, but more questions than answers at the end of that match, which is sort of what you want when you're building a company. So yep, it all makes yep. sense. Now, we're going to move on to the main event of the show here, the fifth match of the night, which is a bit of a retreading, really good way, again, mm-hmm. of keeping a story thread going. Lucha Bros with the Laredo Kid this time, because the Young Bucks have recruited their good friend, Kenny Omega. It is the Elite that we'll be facing. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, this seems to be the first time the Elite were all three of them together on one show for AEW. Yeah. Which is great, because... You've already told, we've had some good Kenny Omega matches, we've had some good Young Buck matches, they've saved it a bit, there's a few less matches on the show, let's get those guys together, tell that story, in Street Fighter outfits nonetheless. Yes. Wasn't that good? I mean, I, you're a big, huge Street Fighter fan, I'm more of a Streets mm-hmm. of Rage guy. Yeah. Uh, your, your Capcom, I'm more Sega, that's fine, you can keep your final <laughs> fights. Um, <laughs> although I do like Street Fighter. Yeah, all tied into the theme of the show in conjunction with the CEO tournament that's going on. You'll notice that the Bucks, Ryu and Ken costumes are spot on, whereas Kenny is just wearing regular tights with his hair dyed and the, the paint on the back. That's because his costume wasn't ready in time. Um, so he had to kind of bodge it together a bit. The entrance was great with the, the scene from the game where Akuma hits his, his big finish and they did that with the, the random guy that ran up. It was good. It sounded to me like it was the actual Capcom Street Fighter tune. Oh, it was, yeah. Was yeah. that was that actually licensed? And so that's again, that's probably tied back into the crossover with CEO. He probably would have helped that happen. Yeah, and you'll see uh, once a year, AEW will release a range of Street Fighter cross AEW T-shirts. Once a year, it always happens. There's like a couple of months where they're sort of pushing those really hard. So there's always been this sort of deal between AEW and Capcom. It seems. And it might be a good idea to get the old CM Punk Street Fighter t-shirt from from this year, because there might not be one next year. <laughs> wow, very true, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, round one fight, as this is introduced yep. by the commentator. <laughs> Should this have been free falls, just for the joke? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, as soon as he said it, you got the commentators going, just to, to stress it, it is, it is one fall. <laughs> it is one, yeah, which was good. I was pleased they solved that. Um, Really strong match, great entrance. Uh, wasn't really faces versus heels in this though, because the the Lucha Bros are still just as over as ever, right? Yeah, it, it was just one of those matches. You you don't really need a, a face heel dynamic in a match like this. It's just a uh, one of those spectacle matches that you know everyone in, involved in the matches. No pun intended, an elite wrestler. You know you're going to get something special out of everyone involved. So it's just to go out there, do your thing. Um, send the fans home happy because officially the last match of the night. Yeah, it was just incredible stuff. And it is a total send your, uh, your fans home happy match. The whole match is beginning to end. Um, I do have a couple of criticisms of this match though, and it, it's okay. it, it's not coming from anything the guys did. 
It's not, I don't think they should be jumping off stuff or anything like that. Mm-hmm. For me, it comes down to when you do stuff in the match. Right. I don't I don't take issue with anything that happened in it, uh, but the way they do it sometimes, eh. So uh, here's an example. There's a bit in the match where all three of the Lucha Bros are celebrating together, doing their hand gestures and getting the crowd involved. And then like Nick Jackson comes in on his own and slowly hits each one of them one at a time. Right. And the other two just stand around waiting for it to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is one of those things that when you talk about a match out the back before you go out and you go, and then I'll run in and I'll hit all three of you. And like, it's great to say it. And then when it comes to the ring and you come to do it, if Nick Jackson's doing it a little bit slower than you thought and you're just looking at him and slowly watching him come to punch you, it just doesn't look as organic as it should. And it's just, just go to punch the guy and have yeah. him block and then hit you. It sells it uh-huh. so much more. Um, the hand stop gesture, when like, you, you usually it's early in a match, you're doing a bit of back and forth, you whip the guy off the rope as he comes towards you, you put your hand out and say stop. Mm-hmm. And they do, for some reason, they stop. And you do your little spot, which in this was... Penta doing his glove hand thing. Right, yeah. It's one of those spots that it's really good on indie shows. Like, if you've got a small crowd around and you do that, it's always good for a laugh. It's a nice little, you know, fun spot early in the match to get the crowd on your side. I always find it a bit weird to see it on TV. I'm not sure if that's a criticism of the match or if that's just um, WWE training me on their brand of wrestling for 40 years. Mm -hmm. I love seeing it on indie shows. Just feels a bit weird on TV, right? But they did it in the first two minutes, so that's fine. I'm not. We're not going to get caught up on that. Uh, we need to talk about the Hadouken, right? Yeah. They do this right at the end of the match, where the Lucha Bros have arguably had the upper hand for a bit. They've stopped the elites in their track. All three of them barrel off the ropes. They're charging at the elite, and the elite do the Hadouken spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lucha guys, they sell it, and they bump, and they stay down. Quite late in the match, probably about 20 minutes in. Right. I get why they did it. I know it's, it feeds into their costume, it feeds into the great show. That all makes sense to me. To me, you do this in the first 30 seconds. Right. You get the crowd into the match, you do it. You do the bump, and then Penta and the Luchas, they all bump, and they roll out... With, with frustration it's not a legit bump it's a frustration bump you take the bump you roll up the ropes you regroup your heroes your good guys can stand in the ring get the pop from the crowd while the bad guys of the match go out the ring and regroup it's a comedy spot i don't have a problem with comedy spot but surely i mean you might see it different but do you think it should have been earlier in the match or were you happy where it was I think because for the longest time it, it was just a regular Kenny Omega move that he used to do it all the time. So I, I I don't think it it threw me because I was so used to seeing Kenny do it. It was more oh the Bucks are doing Kenny's thing. Okay, but I, I I can see it. I see what you mean. If you hadn't if you weren't aware of that, yeah, it could come across as a bit of a hokey thing, especially to do so late in the match. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't. I think it's a great spot just not not at that point because it had yeah, become yeah. quite a serious match by that point but yeah, yeah. but the added context of you saying that is a Kenny move 
mm-hmm. actually does recontextualize that massively for me. Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's a really interesting point. We should do a podcast together. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I like that. Some uh, some brilliant <laughs> selling from Nick Jackson throughout this match. Uh, uh-huh. There was a couple of good. Oh my god! Reactions when he gets chopped, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, then Jesus yeah. Christ when he gets thrown over the top ropes. That that had me very amused. I enjoyed that. Yeah, um, I do like a vocal wrestler that, that do throw out words. He does it a lot. Even when he's doing moves, he'll like hit a drop kick and shout "see ya" and stuff like that. I just like I like vocal wrestlers. Uh, Kevin Owens is great here as well. Um, I, I like that sort of stuff. I've always been surprised that the Fed let Kevin Owens do it because uh, it's very mm. much an indie show thing and it's very much a yeah, yeah, Fed yeah. kind of like don't engage with the crowd too much. But they mm, do sort yeah. of allow Kevin Owens to be booked a bit indie. It, yeah, he's a, he's a bit of an anomaly, isn't he, Kevin Owens in WWE? Yeah. He does a lot of stuff you wouldn't necessarily expect to other wrestlers to be able to get away with. But hey, something we talked about ages ago is about contract negotiations. We talked about that in the mm. first episode. Kevin Owens definitely used the existence of AEW to negotiate a very fine contract on his last signing. AEW would have wanted him. He's very, very close to Matt and Nick Jackson. Um, I, I'm sure there were talks when his contract came up. But yeah, he I, he's one of those guys I think we've spoken about in the past that he grew up a huge wrestling fan, especially a WWE fan. Um, so I can see why he stayed there. But yeah, um, I think WWE knew his closest to the Bucks and were like, we need to make a point of keeping this guy. If we want to use him, we've, we've got to offer him something pretty special. And he's done all right. He got Austin out of retirement, so that's no easy feat. Yeah, totally. And it doesn't all have to be done at once either. He can, if he, mm. if in two, three years' time, the elite try and go to WWE and the WWE let a few people go and you get Kevin mm-hmm. Owens come to AEW, it's not going to hurt anyone. Everyone's going to come off no. better. Um, oh, definitely. And that's what it should be. So we had a we had a super kick party in this match where everyone's exchanging super kicks with everyone else. More of a super yep. kick swap meet, I thought. <laughs> yeah, very take it in turns. Very well mannered. No one knows who is legal. That's something the commentators say at several points throughout this yeah. match. They do try and cover it by saying at the referee's discretion, they just want the fans to be happy, which is fine. Overall, I I don't want to be this guy. I didn't really like this match, if I'm being honest. I did like the Kenny matches on the previous shows. I did like even the Young Buck matches on the previous shows. I think the three of them together and the three Luchas, I think they did kind of play to all their worst instincts. Um, Now, when I say that, it doesn't mean I think it's a bad match. Mm -hmm. Because you look at the crowd reaction, the crowd were very happy throughout this match. Yes. So it totally did what it had to. Just what I look for in wrestling doesn't always tie in with what people are trying to give me. That's fine. I don't want every match to be the same. Um, and as long as the crowd are happy, it has definitely done its job. But it's just little things like no one knows who's legal. No one knows who's face or heel. But it ended right. The main guy went over. Yeah. Clean win with his finisher. It, it continues to reinforce the idea that Kenny Omega is the guy. Mm-hmm. And I think with the, the non-legal thing, um, in Mexico, tag matches, especially big tag matches like this, they're generally tornado rules. Yeah, There's yeah. generally not tags. Um, so obviously you've got three guys uh, that have brought up in the, the lucha scene in Mexico. So it's probably trying to find a middle ground to ease them into it because they're not necessarily used to wrestling America like some of the other guys are. 
Yeah, maybe maybe that would have actually made the match better if they just said it's mm. tornado rules all in all. Yeah, time. yeah, yeah. I probably would have been all right with that. I mean, uh, it's difficult to criticize a match like this when the opener to Royal Rumble two thousand, Dudley's Hardy, is just one of my favorite matches. Well, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's the same thing. So so yeah. yeah, it wasn't my favorite match of the show by any means. I've already said Cody Darby Allen was my favorite match because um, it changed my opinion of the match mid match. Right. And yeah, it is hard it's, it's for good. a match to change your opinion when you've already started to make mm-hmm. an opinion. One thing I thought about this match, of course, you've got you've got the elite, and they're kind of, they're very much the click of its day, and the Bullet Club, the Super Click, the Super Elite. Mm-hmm. But you know the, I think the real genius behind the elite is that the click isn't Kenny and the Young Bucks. The click is the audience. Hmm. They've bought the they bought the audience in with Bullet Club. They bought the audience in with the Elite. That you're all part yeah. of this special click. We can yeah, all definitely. do the two sweet to each other. It's not this super secret behind the scenes faction that only the smart fans know about. You're part of it. Yeah, yeah. Which is really what they could have done that with DX. They could have done that to NWO. The idea that you, the audience, the crowd, you're part of this. You are the Elite. You are the Bullet Club. Yeah. But, of course, they did this on the indies and they turned it into a full-blown legitimate contender to AEW. So, I think making the audience to click is one of the smartest things I've ever seen done in wrestling. Yeah, and it's in the name of the company as well. All Elite, everyone's Elite. Um, So, yeah, works. Which is only a problem if something happened that would cause the Elite to be suspended, stripped of the belts and maybe (laughs) leave the company. What are the chances of that happening then? (laughs) But that'll never happen. (laughs) No way. Silly. Um, so now we go into the lights out match. Pete, what's what's your thought on lights out matches? Uh, yeah, it, it adds that layer to it, doesn't it? Especially at this point as well, where we hadn't had AEW for a long time. American audiences were very conditioned to WWE, and their no DQ matches were very much get hit with a bin, stuff like that, go through a table. Whereas when you hear a lights out match that it's not under the company's rules, you you are like, oh, I wonder. And this is like Moxley's first big comeback really match to being John Moxley. And Mox prior to WWE had this reputation for a deathmatch wrestler. Joey Janela at this point was a huge name as far as that went. So it, it kind of adds an extra wrinkle to it. It's like, we know these two guys will do anything and have done some crazy stuff in the past by making it a lights-out match, that it's not part of the show as such. Yes, it is. Of course it is. But they're they're building it to be the company doesn't want anything to do with this. It adds that extra wrinkle to it. Like, anything could happen in this. It's definitely an interesting one, because obviously we're talking about the non-main event, the unsanctioned lights-out, Joey mm-hmm. Janela versus John Moxley. Um, yeah. It's a super throwback to the, to the indies and the territories having a lights-out, non-sanctioned match. Mm. I don't... I don't know if it's the right name for it for the current age we're in. When you, when everyone's right. kind of... We've pulled back the curtain. Everyone has an idea how it happens. And I think when you say AEW wants nothing to do with it except the referee, the ring announcer, the commentary team, the broadcast <laughs> rights, yeah, I, think, yeah, yeah. I think maybe just deathmatch might be the better better way to go, maybe. But they they tend to use Texas deathmatch to just mean a match that happens in Texas now and mm-hmm. yeah I don't I, it's interesting because it is a throwback 
Uh, and obviously the lights out, lights going back on gimmick is it's an interesting gimmick. I just I don't know if it's the right name for this era. Yeah, I think they could they could have maybe made more of a point that obviously A A W from day one they're like wins and losses matter. Yeah. They could have made more this match this doesn't count to either of these guys wins or losses. Whoever wins and loses it it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. They probably could have made a bit more of a song and dance about that to, to show how different it was from everything else. And and of course if you do that in the future, if you do kind of lights out and sanction match for the belt you can't ever then really pretend that it doesn't count in the record book yeah. because obviously you are going to yeah, have yeah. to reflect that. But we're getting kind of buried in the semantics a little mm-hmm. bit there, which is very much something that happens when people talk to me. <laughs> so sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so we've had a lot of matches built up leading into the show. We actually haven't had a blowout for any of those matches on this show. Yeah. We haven't had Mox versus Kenny. We haven't had Paige versus Jericho. We know that's coming at all out. The pack page setup's gone nowhere. So uh, it felt a little out of nowhere to me. Joey Janela versus John Moxley. Death match. Right. Where was the build up to this? Where did the build up to this happen? It didn't necessarily have one. Uh, like I said, it, at this point in time, if you went to uh, an independent wrestling fan and you said... John Moxley and Joey Janela are going to have a match. That's all you needed to do. Because instantly people go, well, that's going to be bonkers. That's going to be nasty. There's going to be some horrible stuff happening in this match. And that's all they needed to do at this point. I remember, because I'm I'm a big Joey Janela fan. I, I love him. I think he's great. And when I heard it, I was like, obviously, that's the obvious first match for Moxley and his company. It's the match that everyone would want to see with a company at this point with those two guys in it. So it, it didn't really need a build. It just needed that that match to be announced and people knew what they were getting. Interesting. Okay, that's that's very good. I mean, that does kind of fit into my big take home from the match as well, was that the this match has one message. It's a declaration of intent. This guy is not Dean Ambrose. Yeah, Dean Ambrose is dead. This yeah. is, yeah, this is... And didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah, something yeah. that's reinforced nicely by Excalibur, who says, oh yeah, and John Moxley, he wasn't around for a few years. Mm-hmm. Not he wrestled for the other guys under a different name. Just, no, no. This guy, John Moxley, yeah. completely different guy, and he just wasn't around for a few years. And I thought that... Yeah, this this isn't a, a wrestler going to WWE doing the same stuff, but just changing their name. John Moxley and Dean Ambrose, are, they're the same person, but they're two completely different people. I mean, they might as well not even be the same person. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it is so different to John Moxley. You are better off just forgetting it. And I think that is what this match did perfectly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, death matches, some people love them, some people don't like them. Um, I like them. I think there's a time and a place for them. I usually like yeah. more of a build, but the way you've, you've explained that uh, it's these guys, you don't need a build, that's actually kind yeah. of unique, and I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, overall, if you didn't think the match itself told a good story, Joey Janela's face did tell the story. Yeah, he's top at that. He is. He, I know that's something you've always loved in a wrestler: the guy mm-hmm. who sells the story of the match with his face the entire yes. match. Um, yeah, in, yeah. in fact, you when we were training people, you would be the guy who would talk to Pete about that. Mm-hmm. He's he's the guy who's going to talk to you about the psychology of selling your face yeah. to carry the match at all times. So what were your thoughts on this match then, Pete? It was 
It was so good, and it was it was so good watching it again because I watched it at the time and I'd forgotten about certain bits in it, and when they happen, it's like, oh yeah, of course. But it it got me again. Like we'll come to it because it's obviously later in the match. But the the thumbtack spot was like I'd completely forgotten that happened, and it still made me cringe <laughs> when I saw it. Um, I, I'm a big fan of both guys. I'd seen uh, Moxie had done a bit of his New Japan stuff at this point. And it was like, okay, we know he's got a point to prove now. He's He wants to be the wrestler he always wants to be. And he's going to have these great one-on-one matches. But at the same time, he's still got that deathmatch wrestler mentality in him. And Janela was just hot business at this time. He's, he's never been hotter than he was at this point. And I was I remember just being so excited to see it. Um, and I thought, oh, maybe they'll, they'll build to it. But they didn't need to. They didn't need to say, we'll save this for down the line it was a match people wanted to see um and they didn't disappoint both guys went out there they knew what they had to do they knew what their job was that night and um they both just did it to perfection yeah i mean to be honest they did it so well um i don't want to say by the numbers because the death match shouldn't ever feel by the numbers but mm-hmm. to a certain degree yeah. they have started to feel that way i haven't got lots to talk about in this match they did everything you expected them to do it's a crowd pleaser you're not going to see that many spots you haven't seen. It's variations on a theme. What's the barbed wire going to be on? Is it going to be on a chair, on a table, or just a piece of board in the corner, across um, the apron and the uh, ring guards, rail guards? Uh, we had seen it all before, until the thumbs, thumbtacks came out, as you said. <laughs> yeah. that, that was yeah. the, okay, what are they going to do to make the thumbtacks different? Bag of thumbtacks, mm-hmm. bump, yay. Another bag of thumbtacks. Take his shoes off. <laughs> like Mox, horrible. he does spend a good minute getting the guy's shoes off, which mm-hmm. doesn't slow the pace of the match down any. It just builds anticipation for what's coming. This sick fuck is taking this dude's shoes off. And Janela sold that so well as well, because he was like, yep, yeah, some people might go, well, he should have fought him, but you could just see Janela just froze with fear. He knew what was coming. He was like, I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm so scared right now. What have I got myself into? It, and that was his selling through the match. What have I got myself into? And when he brings yeah, yeah. him down, sort of feet first atomic drop onto the thumbtacks, mm-hmm. you can just leave the camera in Janela's face and he'll do the rest of the work yeah. at that point. Um, yeah. So brutal end, the diehard ending, as we'll call it, when people's feet get, get mulched <laughs> up. Um, yeah. Uh, was there then a paradigm shift? I'm sure there would have been because they're quite good. Yeah, there was. Yep, yep. Paradigm yep. shift. Mox gets the win. Brilliant. I mean, I think Mox probably had more thumbtacks in it than Janela by that point. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. Which is fine. <laughs> exactly what the crowd wants. And I looked at my clock at that point. Well, the, the timing of the show. And there's 12 minutes left. Right, yeah. And I thought, that's a lot of time left. There's going to be loads and loads of afterbirth. And then tried to go back to the match and my fight just froze, locked up, because I'd looked at the time on the clock. It went back about four minutes, started looping, stopped, stopped the whole thing. So I had to go back to the beginning and slowly fast forward two hours and 45 minutes just (laughs) to see what the last 12 minutes was. Uh, There was a lot of afterbirth at the end. Yeah, Kenny came out, reinforcing this... uh, Moxley Kenny feud, which started out of nowhere at the end of Double or Nothing. Mm-hmm. So that's going to lead into All Out. As we said, there's a couple of good matches built up for All Out already. So I thought that was great. I was very happy with that. Um, 
And it wasn't 12 minutes because after that it kind of fizzled out. And then my screen just said, please keep feed active for six minutes. So I, I, <laughs> I rewound and got back to the beginning and fast forwarded <laughs> and done all that for, <laughs> for absolutely nothing except a non-rigged guitar shot across the back. Ooh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's that was the only a, bit I that was a real guitar. And uh, yeah, I'll be honest, it was actually worth me sitting, sitting there and fast forwarding it all just to get to that guitar <laughs> shot. Because that was a proper slap. Yeah, but that was that was a great way to end it. It puts Mox and Kenny on an even keel. Obviously, at the end of the last show, Mox beat up Kenny uh, this time, other way around. So it keeps me even going into the match. They've both got their their bit in. Um, so the match is is not one sided when it comes to it. Yeah, the only difference being when Kenny was taking a kick in at the end of this match, he looked like someone who was taking a kick in. Whereas when mm-hmm. Mox was getting a kick in at the end of this match. He looked like someone who was enjoying himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He is all the way through, like when Kenny's attacking him, he's smiling. This is what he yeah. wanted. And I love exactly. that because yeah. that makes you yeah. want to get in to the next show. Yes, definitely. And that next show is coming in two weeks. Before we mm. get to All Out, we will be looking next week at Fight for the Fallen. Um, as I said, originally we were going to do those two episodes together, but with stuff happening in AEW this week, we took the diversion into current times and just focused on the one show. Good job we did, because we're already clocking in a little over what we usually like to aim for. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, for a show that was kind of a throwaway one, I guess. Um, yeah, it was. A, there's a lot to talk about. It, it did just get better and better. It was a slightly auspicious mm. start, and yeah, that may have been my fault for actually bothering to watch the buy-in. But by the <laughs> end of it, I was very pleased with watching the whole show. Um, yeah, I've already said my favourite match. What was your favourite match of the night, Pete? Ah, good question. Probably the lights out match. Um, if I I could say Cody Derby, it's it's a toss up between the two. I would say um, either either or. But yeah, probably because I'm more of a Moxie and Janela fan. That one's probably got the edge for me. Good stuff. Good stuff indeed. Interesting. Well, that is the end of our look at Fighter Fest. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you would like to check us out on social media, where can they find you, Pete? They can find me at Pitwa on Twitter, P-I-T-W-A-R. That's generally where I bung on my social media stuff. But you can also find a page for the podcast on Facebook. I know a lot of you are big Facebook fans, so search Double View Wrestling Podcast on there and you'll find us. And you can find me on Twitter at CZ Hazard. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at AEW. Uh, so give us a follow, a like, a subscribe, an upvote, a super follow. Don't do that. They cost money. Uh, whatever is a positive play on your preferred platform, go ahead and do that. We will be back in one week's time. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>